0: It's White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Hooray! It is gone! It's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon! What a performance! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight.
1: What is up and welcome in to White Sox Weekly. It is March. So excited. Can't even speak right. We've got it. Baseball is in the air. We've got the White Sox coming up a little bit later this afternoon. That's why we're early. Uh, Because the White Sox game takes precedent over White Sox Weekly. 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock for Len Casper and Darren Jackson. 2.05 first pitch for the White Sox and Rangers. Coming up right here on ESPN 1000. Sox fans, opening day tickets are on sale now. So make sure you're here. Guaranteed great field. On April 3rd at 3.10 p.m. To watch your White Sox take on the San Francisco Giants. For more information, visit whitesox.com or or 312 674 a lot to do on the show this morning and only an hour to do it I'm Connor McKnight like uh, the big voice said Charlie Bevins is our producer on the other side hi Charles how are you sir
0: I'm great it is so sunny here in our state street studios that I'm about to grab my sunglasses because it is that you bright sh- in here
1: well, that between that and your future being as bright as it is, you gotta wear Aha. shades. Although you're probably too young to know the reference to the to the '80s song. Shoot, I'm probably too young to actually that have a, that reference. Is that a, I wear my sunglasses at night? Is that the no? It's 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 literally my future's so bright I gotta wear shades. That's the, the lyrics to us. I can't remember who sings it. You know who would know? You know who is a master of '80s prog rock knowledge? Len Casper. Who's our guest on the show at uh, ten thirty this morning? So maybe we ask Len who sings that because I sure shoot not going to look it up uh, in the next thirty minutes. So we'll just ask Len. That feels like a good fix to me, huh, Charlie?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the eighties, man. What a decade for uh, sunglasses in music.
1: Oh yeah, no, it was big between that and then the whole Billy Joel, you know, wearing glasses all the time for reasons that we probably don't need to discuss on this show. Uh there was, a, yeah, there was a whole thing going on. Really was in the eighties. Anyway. We're in the 2020s now, 2023, in fact. The White Sox are getting set to begin their uh, their regular season. Got a handful of games under the belt for Pedro Grifol, the new White Sox manager. The Sox are 4-3 and three in spring. Jesse Schultons uh, is going to start a game today. Martin Perez starts for the Rangers. Haven't seen the expected pitchers, although I, I would guess – that that'll be out soon. Here we'll bring those to you uh, once the intrepid White Sox beat reporters have tweeted such things. I, I really like, you know, that throughout the course of a spring training you get a couple of uh, you know expected pitchers going to work for the White Sox. Last week, uh, when Jesse Schulten started, Sean Burke backed him up for two innings and looked really good in his first outing of spring. I I, I was down in camp. Over the last week or so. And uh, Jeff Meller was kind enough to fill in on White Sox Weekly uh, while I was away and calling a couple of games, both for us here on ESPN 1000 and on the TV side for NBC Sports Chicago. Really appreciate them for having me. Um, and I, I just wanted to kind of get caught up on a couple of things I saw at camp that I thought you might find interesting. And of course, anything you've seen so far in spring is fair game for the show this morning Three one two three three two. 332. 3776 that's the phone number 312-332-3776 i i wanted to start with with what we did down there as a station media day kind of kicks off spring training for us here at the network so we go down and re record liners uh with each and every player you know the stuff you'll hear when it's like and hey, hi i'm andrew vaughn and you're listening to the home of the white Sox." you know that whole thing we, we go down and we record those we get a whole bunch of social media content. Rob Lorenzo, uh, Lorenzo is our, our dude that goes down and shoots all that stuff. We did some uh, some goofy things with a couple of different guys. It was really funny. I think you'll see it pretty soon here. Uh, but we had a couple of funny cuts, a couple of funny takes with Andrew Benintendi, the newest White Sox. Uh, in an, in an office, we we're just kind of hanging out and, and shooting some things. So you'll you'll see all those things soon on our Twitter feed at ESPN White Sox. That's where you can find all of the good stuff there. I was. You know, as this whole thing happens, as the, the car wash goes on and each player kind of comes through and records their thing and then heads out and then you get the next guy, Pedro Grifol, the new manager of the White Sox, was I think maybe the fourth or fifth guy that came through our little area to record our things. And I, I thought it was funny and notable that when Pedro got to us, you know, I've, I've spoke with Pedro once or twice at this point, you know, an interview or two after he got named manager. He was, I mean, he took, I've got a piece of paper with the reads, that's what you call them in the biz, with the reads printed out, and I, I hand them to each player or coach or whatever. Um, and they sometimes they look them over, sometimes they sight read them, sometimes they just do one at a time, sometimes they stare at you blankly and are like, really, Connor, you, you wrote these? These are barely in English. Pedro took them, and business, I mean, business-like, up and down the page, here you go, in and out, let's move on to the next thing. And the reason I bring that up, is because I think that's something whether you're reading about it in uh in in reports from different White Sox beat reporters or or listening to Jason and Steve and Len and DJ talk about it on broadcasts, Pedro Grafal has had a very like business first kind of approach to his first spring training as a big league manager, as the White Sox manager. And I I very much appreciate that. So instead of You know, things starting with questions when when Pedro kind of wraps up practice and speaks to reporters. You know, this is before games start. You have your workouts and you have your pitchers throw and you do your whole thing. And then the the manager comes to talk to everybody. He kind of just launched into his whole thing about how the day went each and every day that, that I was there leading up to games starting on the Cactus League schedule. He just kind of downloads what happened that day. Two reporters, two White Sox fans, and lets you know that hey, you know, we got some good work today, and we got to, these things got done well. These things didn't get done well, and we're we're looking to improve some of those things. I also, you know, was was intrigued by something that Pedro said. I believe it was just before the first game of Cactus League play, and he was asked, you know, kind of how some of the finer points around the White Sox, and you know, defensively, where they're at. And he said, "Well, we're not where we need to be at, but we will be." We're not where we need to be at, but we will be. And I, I I think there's something about a first-year manager being willing to say those things, being willing to point those things out to a veteran team with a whole bunch of expectations, a team that did not meet those expectations last year, that has had some defensive challenges, um, given the, the guys available on the roster in a couple of seasons, given some guys having to you know raise their hand and say, don't worry, Skip, I got this, I'll play out of position and and get this done for the team, given the injuries they've had. I like that Pedro has been able to say those things, point them out, and then kind of in turn expect better, expect improvement from players throughout spring. So hopefully, we see that over the last, over the next couple of days. I think we have seen um, defensively some impressive things from some guys who are going to be asked to move to some different spots. We'll talk about that in a little bit here later on in the show. I also, you know, got down there and and in that first uh first television game second television game of the NBC Sports Chicago slate um I I was on the call with Steve Stone and it was Elvis Andrews first start of spring and I you know there have been really two big topics of conversation in White Sox camp when I was there and they were the following one was the pace of game right the the time clock the changes that are Enacted in spring training that major league baseball hit the ground running with and have seen, you know, a whole bunch of of changes throughout baseball here and and guys are adjusting to we'll talk about that a lot with Len Casper coming up at 1030 here. That's one conversation like instead of, you know, you see people for the first time after the offseason, instead of like greeting people. People are just showing up and going, hey, did you see that two-hour and 35-minute game in Peoria yesterday? Or, hey, how about that that game where the Cubs and Dodgers walked 15 and still finished under three hours? You know, that's that's a whole point of conversation, uh, almost a greeting in spring training over the last couple of weeks. And the other thing that was a real hot topic when I, I got down to, to White Sox camp last week and, and you know, since come back and, and heard some conversation around it was, was the conversation centered around the late signing. Of Elvis Andrews. I watched him play second base uh, last Saturday in his first start at second. He's since had a couple more and made a few routine plays. But in, in a game that I called, he made kind of a lunging, diving play. You know, that stab, grab, catch kind of thing. It was kind of a lunge, grab sort of play on a sinking liner to his left. Not a super hard hit ball, but a fairly hard hit ball. Not a soft, you know, liner or anything like that too. Had to have a first step reaction sort of thing. Dove to his left, snagged it. no problem. thank you very much. Let's move on. That's your third out of the inning. He also helped turn a double play in that ball game, which I mean the hands around the bag were great. the footwork looked very good. Uh, it might have been a little bit of a of a hitch in terms of getting to his proper position, but once that step went to second base then then he seemed just in natural rhythm to be able to field turn and throw. Um, f- received the throw from from Tim Anderson, who was at short at the time, I believe, uh, and then just kind of relay that over. So good do- double play turned. Uh, that's a huge step in the right direction for the White Sox defensively. In in seeing the games that we have over the last week and a half or so, it's just reminding me that because the shift is banned you the the better defensive second baseman can have a bigger impact on this game again i used to think over the last you know 10 15 years or so second base is one of if not the last that's right the last positions i need you know Connor, philosophically speaking a good defensive player just Give me a guy out there who can mash a little bit, who has, you know, one high elite level uh, hitting skill, whether that's on base percentage or, you know, in, in some cases slugging or whatever. And as long as he can get out there and, and stay in front of a baseball, that's fine by me because the shift is going to take care of whatever defensive limitations that second baseman has. I mean, that's why we've seen guys like Mike Moustakis play second base over the last few years. That's why Dan Ugla was, was in the game and an all-star for as long as he was. Defense at second base for a while was just kind of a bonus. Now that the shift is ban is enacted, that you can't align those infielders uh, the, the way you used to, having two shortstops up the middle essentially, like Tim Anderson and Elvis Andrews, hopefully gives the White Sox a lot more coverage up the middle um, versus lefties and versus righties. So that's a big, big thing for the White Sox that I think shouldn't go uh, undiscussed as we get closer and closer to the start of the regular season, also this—I don't know how much. Um, maybe you're an American League fan and you don't follow the National League all that much. Maybe you—you um, know—you're kind of on their back burner in terms of following each and every. Maybe you're a big-time, you know, in the weeds baseball fan, but you don't follow all of the injury notes and news um, with every other team than the White Sox through spring training. But an injury popped up for an NL contender, the Dodgers, just the other day. Uh, Gavin Lux young player for them who was finally going to get a starting job. He was going to be the starting shortstop in LA after they have changed over a couple of different positions. You know, Corey Seager had since left all that kind of stuff. Lux was a top draft pick first rounder and he was going to be that guy. Unfortunately for Lux and the Dodgers, a torn ACL, I think when he was running the bases last week, is going to knock him out for probably the rest of the regular season. And the reason, if you're thinking, why are we talking about this now? It's because we were just talking about Elvis Andrews and all the good things I think he can do for the White Sox this year that, that might not include whatever he gets done at the plate. However, it really felt up until the point that the White Sox locked up Elvis Andrews for the one-year $3 million deal, that that marketplace for Elvis – was kind of gonna be a wait to see what happens at shortstop for some other teams. And perhaps that's gonna either up the marketplace or up the asking dollar for Elvis Andrews. And you're gonna to have to pay a little bit more uh, in order to take him away from that starting shortstop position now with whatever. I it is it is a very good job by the Sox to get that deal up and done prior to any of those kind of occurrences happening. I, I can't help but think that if that were on the the burner still, if that were still being cooked up a little bit, or, or ink had yet to go to paper, that that injury to the Dodgers and Gavin Lux would have otherwise changed the fortunes of, of perhaps Elvis Andrews and the White Sox. So so a good job getting that thing done before games started, because guys, unfortunately, even in spring training, get hurt. Whether that's Joe Musgrove in San Diego or or Gavin Lux in L.A., all of them in Phoenix right now, of course. But that, that really does kind of speak to the urgency and the effort the White Sox were willing to put forward to get Elvis Andrews back in in camp. And we've seen the effects that he was able to bring to the White Sox lineup last year. Hopefully, those same kind of effects are in play in 2023. A lot more to come here on White Sox Weekly. Len Casper is our guest coming up at 10 30. Want to talk more about what we've seen so far with the rules changes? I actually called a couple of games. I'll tell you how it feels to be behind the microphone while this game is going on. A completely different game than it has been the last, oh, I don't know. 100 years or so, that's coming up when we come back. Also, White Sox fans, a White Sox 10-game ticket plan gives you the ultimate flexibility. So pick games based on your schedule and your budget. Don't miss any of the action in 2023. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash ticket plans or call 312-674-1000. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000.
0: Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN1000. One The one-two to Vaughn, and he hits a high drive out in the left. It's way back there and gone. A three-run homer for Andrew Vaughn.
1: One gone through run shot. Len Casper on the call. You heard it here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. And Sox fans, start planning your group outing to the ballpark. We have party areas of all sizes that could be perfect for you and your group. Learn more about our spaces, including the CIBC Fan Deck or a patio party. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash party or call or text 312-674-1000. So a lot of home runs for the White Sox from that first base positions so far in spring, whether it's Jake Berger or now Andrew Vaughn, who's gotten in on that particular party, you know, taking a baseball out to the patio. That's a party. Uh, it's, it's kind of been their, their producer spot so far. And that's a good thing. We'll talk a little bit more about Andrew Vaughn and Jake Berger in a bit. But before the break, I told you that I, I kind of wanted to walk through a little bit of, of what it felt like to, to call a game. With, our, with the new pitch clock in place. I, I did a little bit of a game on radio with Len, and I was uh, asked to sit in with Steve Stone on television a couple of days after that. It is, I, if, you, if you haven't sat down and watched a whole game yet, if you have just been consuming the highlights, yeah, it's been training, I get it, no big deal, then you're in for something. I mean, you, you really are. This game is so fast, Now, and I I mean that, I think in a good way. I I think a lot of the dead time has been pulled out of this game, and action has been thrown in. I, I think White Sox fans who watched Mark Burley as long as you did can understand that when a pitcher is working quickly, there there seems to be, and not everybody in the lineup, the opposing lineup, but some guys, and depending on the rhythm that Burley would get into, you could tell that a hitter would let it loose, would swing at a pitch he didn't want to swing at or, or give kind of a half-hearted effort to a strike that was you know, kind of there in the shadow zone or whatever just because Burley was working quick and the batter felt rushed. And when you feel rushed, you feel like you have to swing. And that influences, in a lot of cases, bad contact. So I think we've seen a little bit of that so far in spring too, not just with the White Sox, but kind of across the league. And I I think that's reinforced the ball in play or kind of propped up ball in play. I also think that even though, and I've talked about this on on broadcasts before, I know DJ has as well. He and I aren't a huge fan of, of the shift ban from like a a philosophical point of view. We'd have rather not done that this season at the very least, but it's there. So those are the rules you play with. I think with that increased ball in play, you have seen some hits that wouldn't have been hits otherwise because of that ban of the shift. So you're getting more runners on more action I think whether you look at, you know, a lot of people have done this reporting, uh, whether it's uh, Keith Law, uh, not Keith Law, Jason Stark with The Athletic, or um, Jeff Passon of ESPN, or our own Jesse Rogers, they've kind of written this out. The offense, the, the league-wide numbers in both Grapefruit and Cactus League so far, pretty much on pace with where they've been in spring trainings prior. The pitch clock violations, something like, two every other game or, or you know, one every other game, I guess, 1.64, something like that, 1.73 per game. So, you know, you kind of you, you do what it, Not that many, not that many that we've seen. Certainly early on, we saw a lot of them. And then the Red Sox and Braves, I think, had one that, uh, you know, the bases were, everybody made a big deal. Of this it was the first day of spring training. It was second day because the, the Padres played one game early on and Manny Machado made a pitch violation. But they, with the bases loaded... In a tie ball game and two outs in the ninth, they have that pitch violation. It was on the batter, and the game ends in a 9-9 nine, nine tie. I, I, yeah, you're going to see some of those, and I, it'll suck. I, let's be honest about it. If, it. if it happens in a regular season game and a pitch violation, whether it's on the pitcher or on the batter, influences the decision, right? Scores a run or, or what have you, sets up a situation that wouldn't have otherwise existed, eh, eh, it won't be fun. But I think we'll get used to it. And I think more importantly, what's being proven on the field is that pitchers are getting used to it and, and slowly, ad- uh, not even slowly, are, are pretty quickly adapting to it. I think it'll be very present if you go to the ballpark, when you go to guaranteed rate field this season, because I think you should, it's a great time. You'll feel it in the seats. I think you'll, you'll understand that, you know, maybe, maybe having somebody bring you your food, you know, kind of having that convenience uh, of of somebody bringing you your food in the good seats, maybe in the 108, that's a good place to be, because uh, if you stand up and head out, you you may miss something fun, and that's a good thing to have in this game. You want, I think, fans to to know that something cool is coming quick, because that's what these rule changes have been all about. I also think too, um, and and it makes it, it surprises me very little that one of the guys, one of the pitchers. That has been kind of pushing some of the game theory forward in spring training has been Max Scherzer. I don't know if you saw, but just the other day, Scherzer was up on the mound, batter in the box, with a runner on. I think he was on first base. The score and situation doesn't matter so much, but that there's a runner on kind of matters here. Scherzer goes into a long hold, right? Waits and waits and waits. Then the batter steps out. Now, remember, with these new rules, the batter has just one chance to step out of the box in any given at-bat. So Scherzer, after the batter steps out, all he does is step briefly off the mound, then back off the rubber, I should say, and then back on, and is set, ready to throw, before the batter even steps back into the box. So the batter, knowing that Scherzer, like, this, listen, as soon as I step back in here, he's coming home. I got to get ready. Sure enough, lead leg goes in, Scherzer's in his motion, pitch comes home, and it's a weak ground out. Because he almost without almost without any time at all, into the box, pitch coming, that's kind of the way that Scherzer has, has kind of played this thing out. Now, what's, what's really interesting about that play in particular is that they called Scherzer for a mound violation because the batter was able to take it down so far. So we've got back and forth and back and forth happening. But there is no doubt in my mind that pitchers are beginning are going to begin to exploit this clock uh, as much as possible because as, as as much as we feel like the burden is now on the pitcher with this clock running there are opportunities for pitchers as well to kind of game this thing out and i think that'll be fun to see one of the guys who's seen quite a bit of it so far and talked a lot with you about these rules changes and how he's felt about them is len casper He's the voice of the White Sox here on ESPN 1000. And he is our guest next on White Sox Weekly.
0: This is Chicago's home for sports. On F. The ESPN Chicago app. F- in HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. 2-0 offer hit in the air. Out of the deep left center. And it is gone. Wow, he got it up into the wind and it kept on carrying. Grandall two for two. His first home run of the spring.
1: That, of course, the voice of Len Casper, the voice of the Chicago White Sox, here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly. And starting at six tickets per game, you can cheer on the White Sox from the comfort of your own private suite. The Sweet Flex plan allows you to select the games you want to attend. Multiple options available. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash SuiteFlex or call or text 312-674-1000. Our guest is that same Len Casper. Len, you just heard Stevie Wonder's superstition coming back, or at least I hope you did. I assume as a bass player... You figured out the superstition lick pretty early on in your career?
0: <laughs> no, Connor. I think the uh, Stevie Wonder uh, canon is probably a little bit out of my league, but uh, <laughs> I love the song.
1: <laughs> it's sure. a great It's a great tune, no <laughs> doubt about it. I want to start with, you know, instead of some league-wide stuff, a, a little bit more specific about this game today, kind of get people set for the 205 first pitch for the White Sox and Rangers coming up. It's a very starter e lineup for Pedro Grifol and the White Sox. This seems to be kind of an effect of the Sox having a number of guys on the World Baseball Classic rosters. Point out a couple of starters that you've seen. You know, flashes some things that you wanted to see so far early on in spring.
0: Well, you had the highlight coming in, and I. It's funny, you know, I have to remind myself of where we are in Arizona, and Grandall did get a hold of it, but. Uh, The ball just flies here, and he has looked very impressive. Uh, His legs look fresh. Uh, He's never going to be a fast base runner, Um, but it was painful to watch him last year, as you know. And uh, most White Sox fans know the story of him remaining in Chicago to really work hard to try to get back to 100%. Um, I, I I think Yaz has been absolutely terrific here early on. Uh, And I'm going to go off the board a little bit. Um, You know, you mentioned starting type guys, but uh, I'll go with Jake Berger. And I I don't know uh, if there's a spot on the roster on opening day for Jake, but he's made the the switch to the other side of the infield, playing a lot of first base now. He's got a couple of home runs. He hit a, a foul home run yesterday that probably went about 470 feet. Uh, at the very least, you know, he's a depth piece. And as we know, with injuries, guys, we'll get opportunities. And I think Jake has uh, really uh, gotten off to a good start here over the first week plus of the season.
1: You know, there were a couple of, speaking with Len Casper here on White Sox Weekly, a couple of pop-ups that dropped in front of the mound early on. And Jake happened to be at first base there. But there's a couple of scoops and a couple of plays behind the bag where he's looked pretty good defensively as well. Steve Stone and DJ talk about this a lot in spring. You're playing for everybody if you're in a position like Jake's. Is this? Um, what do you see in the future for Jake Berger? I mean, he's a he's a former first round guy, and the power is, you know, it is for real.
0: There's no question it's real, uh, and and I think the the big league experience he's had uh, it has been very beneficial to him to understand that there are some. Maybe adjustments, and he's talked about making those mechanical adjustments. Uh, you know, with the Brayu now not here, uh, Andrew Vaughn is, is kind of the the present and the future at first base. Um, but you know, I go back to when I was with the other team in town, and Daniel Vogelback was blocked by Anthony Rizzo. He ended up getting traded eventually, and has made a name for himself at the big league level. You know, I know Jake would like to be a full time White Sox, but you know, in a lot of ways, and DJ mentioned this on the air yesterday, talking about one of the players you're you're playing for your team, but you're also, in a lot of ways, auditioning for 29 other teams. And when you look at the makeup of this roster, there's no guarantee that you know the the entire group that we see now is going to be the same come opening day. And there's no guarantee that whatever the opening day roster looks like, that it'll remain the same. Even you know, a week after that, we we tend to focus pretty hard on. Who the first 26 will be in Houston at the end of this month, but uh, changes can happen. Um, looking at this Texas ball club, they already have some injuries in their starting rotation, so everybody's got to be adaptable at this point. And, you know, I think the White Sox, like a lot of other teams, have their fingers crossed that nobody gets hurt in the WBC. Uh, invariably, it's going to happen, and hopefully, it doesn't happen to any of the Sox players.
1: No doubt about it. I was just looking at uh, Daryl Van Scowen's Twitter feed. He covers the White Sox for the Chicago Sun Times. He's got the expected pitchers for today. Looks like Frank Herman is going to get two innings. Lane Ramsey's scheduled to pitch as well. I-, I was pretty impressed by those two guys specifically when I saw them pitch in spring. Wonder if anybody from the um, you know from the depth portion uh, of the White Sox, either bullpen or, or starting depth, has uh, has has perked up an eyebrow for you.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, all of those guys have looked um, interesting to me. Um, Yesterday, we saw uh, Nick Avila uh, with two innings. He gave up a run in his second inning of work, but uh, there's a little funk there. Sammy Peralta, left-hander, with a 1-2-3 ninth inning. I I think, for the most part, the the White Sox young pitching uh, has all looked uh, very impressive. Um, You're going to need that depth. I think Davis Martin, the guy last year, kind of was the sixth starter. Um, you know, he will play a, a big role here um, at some point. And uh, yeah, I think all those guys, and, and now with Graveman and Lance Lynn uh, leaving for the WBC next week, uh, let's see, Jose Ruiz uh, will also leave uh, to pitch for Venezuela. Uh, it might open up some more innings for some of these guys we were talking about.
1: I wonder what it's like to you now that you've called a couple to have this pitch clock affect your work. How's it feel?
0: It's an adjustment for everybody. I think I try to be as prepared as I can for every game, but you, you might need to be a little more buttoned up before you start the game, just because we used to have a lot of downtime where you know if you needed to look up something, you, you were able to do it or to get into an extended story. We've had a few half innings that have been Maybe 55 seconds, a minute, minute and a half, uh, because the pitch clock has really sped things up. I think in the end, it'll be very good. The action has remained the same. We might even have more action, but we don't have the downtime that we used to have. And, you know, I think when unfortunately you have an injury timeout or uh, some other extenuating circumstance, those things tend to stand out more. Whereas previously we had those delays during almost every sequence um, it's It's a big adjustment for everybody, and I think most big league players get that we're not going back, and if they're fighting this, they better figure out a way to deal with it because in about three weeks, their life's going to change dramatically.
1: Most of the guys I've talked to len have have either you know really understood where all these rule changes are coming from and or said. You know, I, I get them, I kind of understand how to take advantage of them now. Have you had conversations, uh, or, or how have guys kind of characterized these rule changes to you if we've gotten going here in the first two weeks?
0: Well, I'm, I'm fascinated by Max Scherzer, who is oh, such yeah. an intellectual guy, and he's already forced MLB to send out a memo, I guess, today. Was just uh, reading he, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he tried a quick pitch and, and you know they're going to make sure that that doesn't happen, but I do think that You know, some pitchers like Scherzer will try to force a batter to step out. And then once he does that, you kind of have him. And if you get set with 18 seconds to go, you can just hold the ball until one or two seconds left on the clock. Uh, I know you talked to Davis Martin about that very thing, about, you know, understanding that the clock actually gives you more time than you probably think you have. And right now guys are overcompensating and that's natural because you don't want to get dinged. Um, but I do think pitchers will start to push that limit a little bit and, you know, a 230 might end up being a 235 or 240. But uh, again, I think that the overarching theme here is that baseball to get back to the game that at least I grew up loving uh, needed to make some fundamental changes and legislate it from day one.
1: What do you make of Oscar Colas? He's one guy we haven't talked about yet, and I think he's kind of gone. Yep, a lot of expectations on him coming into spring. Of course, uh, you know, we've, we've seen some of the skill set for sure.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen a ton of him, but, you know, he stole a base yesterday, uh, picked up his first extra base hit. I'd like to see him a little bit more uh, in right field, but he's looked the part. You know, he looks comfortable. Uh, when you get into these spring training games, it's interesting. Guys from the minor league stand out. And well, I guess there are three different ways, right? One is they just look like they belong. Uh, one is they look overmatched and one other is they look way better than every other kid. Uh, Kolos, I guess is kind of that he looks like he belongs and has a chance to kind of be, Oh my special. Uh, so I, I would hope that he's not too worried about the roster and where he's going to be on opening day. It just goes out and Continues to do his thing. He's in the lineup today uh, playing right field. You know, Gavin Sheets has been really good, too. And I think these are the motivators, right? When you read all the headlines that this kid's coming in to maybe, quote, take your job, uh, I think Gavin's had a nice spring as well. And I think it's going to make any of those uh, decisions toward the end of this camp very difficult.
1: I think one of the things we may see, or a couple of guys, rather, that might be affected the most in terms of playing time once the White Sox send their WBC players out to their respective rosters might be Romy Gonzalez. You know, whether that's playing a little up the middle or getting into the corner outfield spots, he may have to show – I mean, like, listen, if he's going to make the team, it'll probably be because he's shown himself able to cover all of those defensive spots, yeah? Yeah.
0: That's right. Yes. And, you know, they have Leary who is a switch hitter who can play everywhere, including shortstop. You feel good about Elvis Andrews because now you've got two shortstops kind of in your starting lineup. So you're set there. Uh, and Romy just roaming, roaming yeah. <laughs> around the outfield. And we know he can play all the infield spots. Anser Alberto also has been excellent. He had a really good day defensively yesterday Um, I think that type of profile decision is, is not going to be an easy one. And it's, it's a really good problem to have that you feel like you have a lot of versatility on your bench. Uh, Billy Hamilton, Victor Reyes, Jake Marisnik, you know, they've got a lot of outfield depth in camp right now, but I do think that super utility type spot, uh, you can never have enough of those guys and it's very possible you could see two of those guys on the bench.
1: Len, appreciate it as always. Great talking with you. White Sox fans can hear you on the call starting at 2 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.
0: Sounds good, Connor. Can't wait to see you back out here.
1: You got it. That is Len Casper, the voice of the White Sox, right here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. White Sox fans, you can join us in supporting Liam Hendricks during his fight against non-Hodgkin lymphoma and purchase a closeout cancer T-shirt. Fans can also donate a shirt to an individual fighting cancer in Liam's honor. All proceeds will benefit the Lymphoma Research Foundation. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Team Liam. That's WhiteSox.com slash Team Liam to order a limited edition T-shirt. We'll cover some of the things Len talked about there and also talk a bit more about some of the roster changes that might be coming for the White Sox in 2023. Sure, it's early in spring, but that doesn't mean we can't think a little bit about opening day, does it? I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000.
0: We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly. Weekly, ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. The pitch. Tim hits a grounder to short. Backhanded pick by Newman, and the throw is either late or it pulled Pinder off the bag. Either way, Tim is safe and a run scores. It's two nothing. <laughs> White Sox and Rangers coming up on ESPN
1: 1000. Two o'clock is when Len Casper, who you just heard there and heard on White Sox Weekly a few minutes ago, and Darren Jackson, they'll have the call. First pitch at 2.05. Jesse Schulten's going to start for the White Sox, although a couple of guys, uh, Frank Herman, Lane Ramsey, are scheduled to throw. I, I mention them only because uh, I had a chance to-, to call a few of their innings when I was down in Arizona a few weeks ago. I, I really liked, but Frank had to throw, and, Lane Ramsey is a six foot nine, six foot eight, six foot nine. I think ninety five, ninety seven with the fastball. He has to figure out exactly where it's going. I think at times, but that is a you. You watch the shape of some of those pitches and kind of the the funk in his delivery, a bit of a cross step to him, and you could. I mean, Lane Ramsey is a guy you could see kind of like. I don't know, being like a, a, an August call-up sort of thing for bullpen depth or when rosters expand in September or maybe pitching some impact innings uh, late in the season for the White Sox. Things go well for him in his minor league campaign. A couple of arms that you can think about there, back-end sort of stuff uh, with Lane Ramsey there and, and Frank Herman was a trade pickup from the Boston Red Sox too. Hey, bring your group out to a White Sox game and receive specially priced tickets along with a great experience. We have private areas for corporate outings, family get-togethers, and more. For more information, visit whitesocks.com/groups. One of the things that I, I was interested in seeing, or am interested in seeing, as guys ship out to their World Baseball Classic rosters, and the White Sox have a handful of guys going—two uh, in the outfield with Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert—scheduled to play for their respective countries. That means, I think that you're going to see a bit more of a roster battle perhaps for that last outfield spot. You know, Jake Marizic, Victor Reyes, Adam Hazley, Billy Hamilton, all in camp and all played at the big league level uh, pretty recently, some for the White Sox. And I think there's space on this roster on the the 13th position player side for one of those guys to make an outfield spot or, or to, to earn an outfield spot on the opening day roster. But as Len mentioned earlier, we focus a lot on the 26th, going to a break camp and head to Houston to face the Astros. That depth is going to come into play. Remember 2021, we saw all kinds of depth come into play for the White Sox and boost them to an AL central title. We did not see that kind of depth make impacts at the 2022 season. And that is a smaller reason, admittedly, but part of the reason why the White Sox had the troubles that they did last year. So, you know, whether we're talking about guys like Jake Berger or some of the outfielders that I mentioned, or one that I didn't, Romy Gonzalez, perhaps making impact, whether it be at the start of the season or, or toward the latter half. As guys go to their World Baseball Classic spots, you're going to see, I think, auditions, you know, really, really kind of step up. Romy Gonzalez made a, a nice play in the corner in left last week. He's got, I've, I was really surprised when he got called up uh, last season of, at the athleticism that he's got. He's kind of like that short, stocky, thicker, lower half kind of player. And the swing has a lot of power in it when he makes contact. And it doesn't you know, necessarily look like I'm not taking shots at him. I just, he's got a big league swing, don't get me wrong. But it's not the most fluid of swings. So to see him kind of move the hips and drop and run in, in the corners, in left and in right... I I was I was pretty impressed and I think this roster might look uh kind of more versatile a a bit more versatile if Romy Gonzalez is in that top 13 when they break camp because he can cover really four spots for you if he if he does make that squad left right short second I guess you know he could probably play third base for you so make it five spots for Romy and that's as we get into these you know more restricted roster sizes, yes, we're at 26, but you know there's 13 position players, 13 roster, uh, 13 pitchers. M- more defensive versatility is better, absolutely. Thing I wanted to close out the show with here is, is a spot I saw or a piece I saw uh, in the AP. And it's a couple of quotes from guys like Theo Epstein and Morgan Sword at MLB. They're, they spoke at the MIT Sloan School Analytics Conference. And it's where a bunch of big wigs over across a lot of different sports go to kind of talk about the, the, the new cutting edge sort of stuff. And one of the things that Sword Morgan sword, kind of the chief executive officer of, of rules changes in major league baseball pointed out was that these rules changes, the ones that we're seeing and enacting right now and are making so many headlines around major league baseball were in, in his opinion, in major league baseball's opinion, long overdue and that there may be others on deck. Now, before you, you know, kind of bristle at that, remember, some of those are, are pretty simply robot ump's or some kind of robot ump that we've been talking about for a long time. Some of it might be changes to the strike zone, and in this piece by the Associated Press, one of them is a, a change to the strike zone shape—not a rectangle, but instead an octagon that would make pitches at the corners you know top right top left bottom right bottom left a little bit easier to lay off because they wouldn't be strikes and they're really tough to hit it's most of these rules about putting more offense in the game while regulating game size or a game length with the pitch clock that's in play already i i mention this because these rules have been such a big conversation to start spring, and they will be an even bigger conversation when the games matter at the start of the regular season. And I think it's kind of important to take a look at what's coming too. You can catch the biggest matchups at the best value for the 2023 season. Enjoy flexible payment plans, a ticket exchange program, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash ticket plans or call or text 312-674-1000. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Peggy and Dion are next, so don't go anywhere. White Sox baseball is coming your way at 2 o'clock. It's the Sox and Rangers. Len and DJ have the call first pitch at 2.05. Big thanks to Len Casper. He was our guest today. Thanks to our producer, Charlie Bevins. Sox fans, catch the action from the private Diamond Suite this season. Host your closest friends and family with customizable food and beverage options. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash suites. Or call or text 312 674 1000. More of the finest sports talk coming up. Peggy and Dion are on the way. I'm Connor. This is ESPN 1000.